Let me ask this question. It's Tony confession time, if that's right. Anybody here ever grumpy? And anybody? I am, I'm finding myself recently perpetually grumpy. Like just grumpy. Just, you know, on the inside you're kind of churning and a little agitated and it begins to come out and you're kind of snippy and, and short. And Anybody else? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just need to confess that this morning. God, can, God, God landed hard on me yesterday. You know, it's, it's the, Psalms, the, Psalm says, the psalmist says that your hand is heavy upon me. Woohoo! Yeah, it was, it was so yesterday. It was so. And still this morning, by the way. So... Open to Psalm 104, because what I want to do is I want to make sure we're dovetailing. Now, I heard, I heard excellent things in regard to Alex's message last week on discipleship and, you know, the commitment to being invested in and investing and what that means in the fellowship of believers, how Jesus set the whole thing up that we would be investing in one another, that we are to go make disciples. Well, to do that, we need to recognize kind of, you know, the, the power of God in our lives, our need for salvation. You know, so, so this is what I wrestled with. So all week long, you know, you're, you know, you think, okay, you know, I'm on the beach. I get to relax a little bit. You know, maybe, just maybe, God will just give me some peace. No, it was a really great time for me to be quiet and have God go, Anthony Michael Pingitore. Because that's what he, especially when he's really getting my attention. It's Anthony Michael Pingitore. And it was, it, it was really a matter of reflecting on sharing my faith, reflecting on the idea of wanting people to know Jesus, and then asking the question, why? Why? What is it to be saved? What is it to have salvation? What is it to know God? What is it to be scooped up from, from truly death and condemnation and sin? and forgiven and placed in the presence of God. What is that? That's what we need to be reflecting on. So when Paul in Romans says, in view of, therefore in view of God's mercy, offer your body to him as an instrument, as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. What he's saying is, listen, please never forget where you were and that I loved you at a point in your life when you had literally nothing, you finally had hit the bottom to such a degree that you were willing to hear my voice and receive from me life and recognize your sin and be forgiven of it and then be adopted into my family and given a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, and then a command from Jesus to say, when you talk to dad, talk to your daddy. That's remarkable. It's truly remarkable. And I don't know if God was just letting me see the contrast of some, some of the darkness that remains in my heart and my need to continue to strive in juxtaposition to this incredible grace and mercy that I've experienced. But what am I going to share if I, if, if I don't recognize with a grateful heart what I've received and from whom I've received it? So that's going to dovetail two messages. Two weeks ago when we looked at the goodness and the greatness of God, and this last week in terms of going to make disciples. What does it mean to go out and express the kingdom of heaven to someone, the person of Jesus, the mercy bestowed, the salvation for eternal life? What does it mean? 
What does it mean to grab a younger believer and say, man, let's walk like Jesus? Or to be, allow yourself to be taken by an older believer and be walked in the likeness of Christ. So open to Psalm 104 if you would. You're gonna need your notes, you're gonna need a Bible. We're gonna go to Psalm 104 because the first thing I wanna do is I want us to remember who it is that God is and his goodness and his greatness, his glory. I'm gonna pray as you guys look. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you open our hearts and minds to see you, to see your glory, to, to see and experience your goodness, to recognize your hand in motion. Whether it's through what you have made or whether it's the transformation of our lives. May that be so today. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we start, we're in Psalm 104. I'm just, we're just gonna read down this. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. So David sets the tone right off the bat, and he says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Rise up. And this is an action. This is an intention. David's soul isn't just necessarily rising up. and No, he's engaging God with his soul by his spirit, and he's saying, no, rise up. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It's almost as if he's commanding us to praise. And he goes on to say, Oh my God, you are very great. Sometimes our words have to go in front of how we feel. And our words will guide our hearts to the place where they need to be. That is not hypocritical. For me to declare God's greatness when I don't necessarily want to or believe he is or be able to see it doesn't mean he doesn't deserve it. And when, when David writes in Psalm 51, he says, open my lips that I might praise you. What is he saying? <laughs> I'm in a place right now where that's really difficult for me. So open my lips. Open me. What's he saying here? Oh, oh, oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. My favorite thing to do in South Carolina at about 5.30 in the morning is stand on the beach facing east and watching the sun begin, the first, the first light, which is at about 5.30, and the purples and the pinks and the oranges that begin to emerge, and the waves are, are, are crashing. And I stand right there in the surf, and I, begin, I watch that first light begin to glow, and I watch the colors begin to come, and then I watch as the sun just begins to peak over the horizon. And right then, it's at its most vivid color just this orange that can't even be described. And then you just watch it slowly move and the reflection starts coming at you on the water and the foam on the waves begins to glow with the color that is between you and it. And all I can do is think about God. All I can do is imagine him drawing the sun up as the boundaries that he had placed for the sea says, oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. And he stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. And he rides on the wings of the wind. Every element of creation speaks of God. It touches our person. It touches our senses. Our eyes see it. Our ears hear it. Our skin touches it. I put a 
uh, just a brief post on my Facebook page. The breeze was so perfect, it was like you were sitting in water but not getting wet. It was just this beautiful, gentle caress. Look what it says. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of the upper changers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his winds his messengers his fl and flames of fire his servants. And he set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water. Into the, into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters and they sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted, their bird, there the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, and they seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return, they return to, and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro in the Leviathan which formed, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever, and may the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will, praise, I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord. I want to go back to verse 34 to set us up today. Look at verse 34. Look what it says. It says, may the meditation, may my meditation be pleasing to you as I rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> what did I get convicted of yesterday? My meditation was not pleasing because I was not meditating on God and his works. I was not meditating on God and his goodness. I was not meditating on God and his greatness. I was not meditating on the kindness and the mercy of God. I was not meditating on the needs of those around. You know what I was meditating on? Everything that aggravated me. Anybody? Everything that frustrated me. Everything that I wish was that wasn't and wasn't that was. 
I grumbled, I mumbled, I murmured. Anybody ever been there? What do I want us to see today? I want us to see the mercy of our God who invites us into his presence anyway. The grace of God that gives us life in his presence anyway. The patience and the tolerance of God, his kindness that is meant to draw us back to himself anyway. And then to refocus and recalibrate on the goodness and the greatness of God and his good works and his good pleasure and his goodness. Because in order for us to do what we're going to talk about next, this needs to be where our meditation goes. That's why this song was so convicting for me this morning. Perfect submission? Yay! What is it to be perfectly submitted to God? Well, I think at least hopefully in my case, it's the perpetual return, the response to his mercy, the response to his patience with me, his tolerance with my being a dope, and his kindness that draws me back to him. And then to reflect on that goodness, much like the prodigal son, who while feeding pigs, right, came to his senses and said, my father, everyone who works for him has more than enough. I'll go back to him. So if this morning you're a prodigal with me, I'm reciting on my way back to my father. Lord, I'm unworthy (laughs) to be your son. Just make me a hired hand. And I love the fact that he runs to me and he says, no, whoa, no, you're my boy. Come here. Here's the ring and the sandals and the cloak. Anybody else? So what we need to reflect on today then now is that submission, that discipline. So grab your notes. You're going to need your notes in the Bible, and here's where we're going to go today. We just read Psalm 104, and what that was meant to do was to, it was, it was focus on God's mercy, his goodness, his greatness, his love, to focus on him. To remove, you know, to be recalibrated from anything that is drawing our affection here on this earth back to him and putting it back in perspective. You know, if for whatever reason your heart was in the same condition this weekend as mine was, it's recalibrated toward him personally. Off my stuff, off my feelings, off what I want. And back to him. And then a remembrance of the mercy he's shown me and the grace. And he, does, he reveals that to us first by what he has made, what he has created, by his word, and by his son, who is the expression of that mercy. So as we look at Psalm 104, I want us to see and allow us to see what has been made. And listen, here's the word. I want us to learn to attribute those good things to him. Every good thing. Every good gift, it says in James, comes from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good gift. And if he says in Romans 8 that I work all things out for the good of those who love me and are called according to his purposes, he even takes those things that are brutal or difficult or suffering or the consequences of his sins. He says, no, I'll turn this into a good gift for you because I am good and I'm a good father. Don't forget. Attribute to me all things good. We have a tendency sometimes to attribute those bad things that happen to us to our Father. 
when in fact that's just a matter of the sin on this earth and the fallen world we live in and the brokenness therein. And so, and so our inclination sometimes is to blame God for the things that happens to me, when in fact that is never the issue. The issue is we live in a fallen world. He allows it. He permits it. He tests us by it. And then he uses it. And he turns it to good. If we're willing to attribute that good to him, we'll walk with joy and gratefulness. So let's take a look at this. I want to go to Romans chapter 1 for a minute. And this is actually in your notes. So if you grab your notes, I want to look at something because this is the contrast of Psalm 104. And this is the peril we can find. Here's the, this is the plight, the peril we can find ourselves in. You ready? So Psalm 104 is written for us to reflect on God and his making his goodness, his greatness, his glory. All the things we should be grateful for and, and recognition of how wonderful he is and then take anything we experience and offer it back to him and realize that any good gift is a gift from the Father of heavenly lights. And to do that, we have to attribute that to God. If we look at Romans 1, 19 and 20, we see what happens when we don't. So here's the contrast. One of the things Romans warns us about is what may, what may be known about God is plain. What may be known about God is plain. And this is for all mankind to be able to see. So when we read Psalm 104, it is a description of, of the things that all men can see and, and, and begin to offer God his due. In Jesus, it becomes more specific. But here in Romans, he's saying, listen, what may be known about God is plain because God has made it plain. His goodness is so great that he made sure that it was plain to see who he was and his greatness and his goodness so that no man has an excuse. No one can look out in creation and say God has not revealed himself. God has not shown himself. God has not you know, um, revealed his glory to us. No excuse for any of us. The question isn't whether or not we see it. The question is whether or not we attribute it to him. This is, for believers, this is, a, this is a crucial moment. So let me go over to the Holy Spirit for a minute. 2 Peter 1 says it's God's divine power has given us everything we need. That divine power is expressed by the Spirit of God. Now he's talking about the power of Christ himself. Colossians says that the power of the deity resides in Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit is the expression of that dwelling in us. And that divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness, but I can't tell you the number of believers that I talk to who swear up and down they, they, they've never heard the Holy Spirit. They've never been guided by the Holy Spirit. They've never heard from the Holy Spirit. And that can't be true. It can't be. Because he does speak. Now, we might want to ask ourselves, is, are we listening? Have we trained ourselves to be able to discern? But th I think there's a more basic question here. Are we willing to attribute what we hear to the Holy Spirit? I can't tell you the number of times I'm walking about and, and I am thinking grumpy thoughts and a verse comes out of nowhere and goes like a ticker tape, right like that. And I used to go, where did that come from? Or man, I'm glad I thought of that. You know what I've discovered? No. The grumbling, the, my grumbling, that's what I want to be doing. The Holy Spirit is working on me to say, Anthony, you got something better going on. 
remember this. Boom. And I'm like, ow! You know what I had to learn to do? Attribute that to the Holy Spirit and his goodness. Realizing that my flesh wars with God constantly. My flesh wants what's contrary to the Spirit. So when all of a sudden I am indulging my flesh, anybody here ever indulge their flesh? Like you know you shouldn't eat a donut, not because donuts are inherently bad, but because you're a diabetic. And somebody does what? They bring donuts into the office and the smell goes into the nostrils and the mouth starts to water, the stomach starts to rumble and you go, ah, ha, ah, and you indulge it. That's indulging the flesh. When you entertain the fragrance, the aroma, when you then go and you look inside the box, when you open the box and you take a big whiff, that's indulging the flesh. That will almost inevitably lead to what? Gravity. That's a donut. Well, my donut, I stopped eating donuts 10 years ago because I'm getting older and they started landing right here. I couldn't do it anymore. My donut is grumpiness. Everyone, anyone have a donut worth of grumpiness? Well, you feel it rise, right? It's like the aroma coming up, right? And you have an opportunity to walk out of the office, but no, 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 you reach for the box. And you open it up, and you take a big whiff. And what is that? That is the complaining beginning to rise up, and be, I'm beginning to indulge it. What a jerk. Oh. The next thing I know, I'm trying to fight off the box, and I look in, I close it. I look in, I close it. I continue to indulge it. I continue to entertain it. That fragrance is still just wafting in the air. And what do I find myself do? I have to admit that grumpiness is my donut. And when I entertain grumpiness, I begin to indulge it. And when I indulge it, I sin. And that's the way I am. So if somehow God's word comes crawling across, you know, like the crawl out the bottom of the news, and all of a sudden it goes, oh, and remember what James said? Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What? Where did that come from? Because it certainly wasn't my indulged flesh. That had to be who? The Holy Spirit. If we don't learn to attribute to God that which is good, we'll never see God as good. We'll see everything as happenstance. We'll see Paul says dental. Or even worse, we'll take it upon ourselves that I did this good thing. Paul said something very interesting. He said, there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. Jesus is good in me. It's not I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Why? Because I've crucified my flesh and I now have Christ, Christ dwelling in me. So when something good rises in me, that's the Spirit of God speaking to my spirit and saying, come dance with me. Come walk with me. Indulge me for a moment. Entertain me. And I think as believers, we're losing a lot of battles because we can't see God's good hand in much of anything because we're so used to either blaming him for what's bad or taking credit for what's good when in fact it's him and his to do all good things. And even to take that which was meant for bad or for evil or for destruction and to redeem it and turn it for my good because I love him even when I don't act like I love him. Am I making sense this morning? This is really important because I think we're losing battles we don't need to be losing.
and we're losing battles because we don't recognize the Holy Spirit. We don't attribute to him good things. We don't allow him to open our lips to praise him. We don't reflect on what is good, and we don't attribute greatness to God. And maybe I'm alone in this, but the scriptures are written toward this, so it tells me that maybe this is a condition of the flesh, and all mankind still have flesh, and so we're all susceptible to what? Entertaining it, indulging it, opening the box, looking at the donut, and then trying to fight it off. I don't know what your donut is. Actually, let's take a minute. You guys talk to each other. What's your donut? Now, be appropriate. Some of us have donuts we can't talk about publicly. That's okay. What is your donut? Think about more of a surfacey donut. What's a surface donut for you? Talk to each other. <laughs> so many of them. I got so many donuts. I got an array of donuts. I've got an assortment of donuts. I got the 24 pack. I like mine with sprinkles. What's your donut? It could be lying, could be cheating, could be gluttony, could be lust, it could be the pleasures of the day, it could be anything. What's your donut? And if you don't want to say it out loud, that's cool, but I want you to think about it. All right, so here we go. So what's really important, if we go down here, look at what it says now, again in Romans, it says, for what may be known about God is plain because he's made it plain. We don't have an excuse to not attribute to God those things that are good and great and glorious. He goes on to say this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made, so that people are without an excuse. And so what he talks about from this point on in Romans is how man, having, seeing, being able to see all that God has, has ex expressed of himself, that he might be known and his invisible qualities might be seen, they have chosen, listen to me, this is really important, they have chosen not to retain the knowledge of God. They have chosen to not retain the knowledge of God. And I wonder sometimes as believers if there are, we have choice times when we decide to not retain that knowledge or not to practice praise and worship to, not, to pra not practice perfect submission, which means what? Which means me battling with his, in, in, in communion with his spirit, my flesh, and giving it to him. That's perfect submission. Perfect submission isn't that I'm submitted perfectly all the time. Perfect submission is when I'm willing to fight the fight to be submissive, submit myself to him. You think Fanny Crosby, the writer of that, was perfectly submissive, all that submit, submitted to God all the time? No, what is perfect submission? It's that constant recognition of God being great and glorious and good and taking my flesh and its desires and its complaints and its grumbling and, and presenting it to God and saying, no, no, no. Will I say no to the donut is the question. So we go on. So his divine power. Go on in the notes with me and read along with me if you would. Not, not out loud necessarily, although you're welcome to. His, so his divine power also gives us everything we need for life and godliness. God's divine power not only gives us everything we need for life and godliness, but for a practical religion that is born from seeing and having experienced God in action. Remember, godliness, true godliness as Peter defined it was this, that we hold God in reverent awe. We see him for who he is, and we revere him and respect him to such a degree that we cannot help but honor him. 
That's what godliness is. So that type of vision of God is what fosters in me the desire to be obedient. I want to honor him. Why? Because I've experienced him. So I've seen him in action. I've experienced God, and I cannot help but be thankful and reverent toward him. That is the response. And he made, and, and, and he has made me, he's made us righteous. His righteousness has borne out righteousness in me. So I now, not only now can I see it and experience it, now I can be it. That's why in 2 Corinthians it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. I can act righteously. How do I know what that looks like? Because what God acts toward me and acts on me and now acts in me. Well, I attribute righteousness. Anthony, come here. Ant, yeah, I, he's my son. I can pick Scotty. Come here for a minute. All right, um, Matt, come here for a minute. Oh, I heard you whining. You get to be in front of people all the time. Okay, so here we go. You're going to be, well, because you've got, you caught the donut of grumpiness. You stand right there. You're sin, okay? <laughs> Actually, no, you get to be God. Okay, so God's wrath is now expressed in Christ Jesus and his mercy. Mm. All right, so here you go. You're a sinner, mm. and, and you get to be Jesus because you're tall. Okay, so... When, you know, when it talks about our being righteous, I, I, again, I want to go here for a minute. I don't know that most of us believers really believe we're righteous. I think we think we're sinners. I didn't say I think we think we don't sin. That's not what I said. There's a difference between committing a sin and being a sinner or being sinful. One who is sinful has not been regenerated in Christ Jesus. In other words, they, they, res, they remain in their sin. The nature of who they are is sinful. What Jesus did when we were born again, this is why it's being called born again, was he bore us in righteousness. In other words, he has made me righteous. When I stand before God, God only sees me in one way. So grumpy Gus over here, I'm going to have you face this way, mm -hmm. right? His wrath is actually on Scott because Scott is sinful. Before Jesus, Scott is sinful. In other words, God's wrath remains on him. And it's not that God doesn't love Scott. God loves Scott desperately. God loves Scott so much that he would send his son. God loves Scott so much that he would declare Scott's worth and value as that of the life of his own son, the blood of his own son. That's how much Scott is worth, even in his sinful state. This isn't about God hating Scott or God wanting his wrath to be on Scott. God wants his wrath removed from Scott in such a way that he allowed his son to receive his wrath on his behalf and offers him life eternal through grace. So when Scott, if Scott, so Jesus comes in here and he introduces himself, introduces himself to Scott and Scott denies Jesus and says, and pushes him away, shove him away, push him away, get away. Ooh, now turn around. That, listen, God, God is not condemning Scott. God's attempting to remove Scott's condemnation by offering, by, by allowing Jesus to offer himself. God's love remains on Scott. The problem is Scott refuses to love God. 
When Jesus reintroduces himself into Scott's life, and for whatever reason, Scott has hit the bottom, and he sees, oh my goodness, I, I'm condemned. I'm a sinner. I have fallen short. I want to experience the love of God. What happens is the, the crucifixion, the, the, the punishment that Jesus took, now stands between the Father and Scott. That's what Jesus did. Don't face the Father. <laughs> I didn't tell you you could move. Okay, so listen. Many of you have seen this illustration in a number of different contexts, but because it's, because it's so vivid and so real, and I think as believers, we really struggle with this. Our lack of confidence in who we are in Christ is immense, and I know that by the way we live and what we think and what we're afraid of. We have no reason to be afraid of our Heavenly Father ever. Fearing him and growing in knowledge and wisdom, according to Proverbs, is not being afraid of God. It's holding him in reverent awe, honoring him, respecting him. When Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can take the body, but be afraid of the one who wants the body is dead, can take the soul and cast it in hell, then he was talking about be afraid. If you remain in your condemnation and God's wrath comes down on the sin you have chosen to harbor, let me say that again, and God's wrath comes down on the sin you have chosen to harbor by denying Christ, your condemnation remains and is deserved. Not because God doesn't love you, God loves you desperately, but because you have refused his love. You have refused his grace. So when this, act, when this transaction happened, when Jesus put himself between the wrath of God and your sinful state, when Scott received what Jesus offered by grace, just through faith, just believing this is being true, Scott remain Scott in person, having been made by God as Scott, but now his sinfulness has been removed. He is now righteous in Christ. Because he who knew no sin became sin so that the wrath of God landing on him would be just. And the father didn't do this to the son. The son said, I have done this willingly. No one takes my life from me. I am here with my Father to do what? To accomplish our will. Which is what? That he would have brothers and sisters in the kingdom of heaven and a bride as a loving groom. So what happened in this moment is his righteousness was now, the word is imputed, injected into Scott. In other words, Jesus exchanged his righteousness for his sinfulness so that the wrath of God, when it fell on Jesus, fell justly. And his righteousness was imputed to Scott because he believed it so. And Scott, therefore, became righteous. So that when the father now looks at Scott, all he sees is what? All he sees is Jesus. That's all he sees. And he's accepted. He's been adopted. He's been transformed. And we, as children of God, are now righteous. We carry with us the very nature of Jesus by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that is the goodness of God. 
What's amazing in all of our lives, if we're here and we have a relationship with God in Christ, is even when, when there are times I walk in communion, abiding with Christ closely, and, and this relationship is good and solid and effective. But there are days when we eat the donut of the flesh, and what happens? There's great distance between me and Jesus in regard to the effectiveness of our relationship, but it didn't do anything to the nature of my relationship. He remains righteous because it has nothing to do with what he did. It was I had to do what he did. So it, when God looks at Scott, even when he's far off, all he sees is Jesus. This is in Romans when it says Jesus stands before the judge. He stands right there and he advocates on our, he is our defense attorney. And that defense attorney says this constantly. No, he's righteous in me, dad. He's righteous in me, dad. He's righteous in me, dad. At some point, we have to believe this is true so that we can start acting out the righteousness that God has made us to be in Christ Jesus. And what does that righteousness look like? Is it look at me how right I am? No. Is it, look, I follow all the rules and all the, no. You know what it is? When our life exhibits the fruits of the spirit and the nature and character of Jesus, period. Perfect submission is when we believe this to be true, we attribute it to God, we receive it from him daily because his graces are perpetual. His mercies are new every day. His patience and tolerance toward me is unbelievable. And his kindness is constantly drawing me back to himself. That's because I'm his son or I'm his daughter. I'm his child. We are righteous. And he's given us everything we need to act on that righteousness. And then forgiveness when we don't. Does this make sense this morning? This is crucial for us to understand, crucial. Because when we refuse to believe this, or when we allow our sin and its consequences to cause us to doubt it, you know what we're beginning to say? That God didn't tell us the truth, and what he did didn't last. Or I don't believe it so. That's why the Holy Spirit constantly reminds us of what Jesus did and who he was and who we are in him. And he's constantly rising up and, and fighting our flesh and saying, no, remember, no, 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 no. I got you, baby, I got you. And the idea is to draw us back into effective relationship. Because the closer I walk with Jesus, the more like him I look out here. Because I always look like him here. The goal is to get me to look like this out here. Am I making sense? Okay, go ahead and sit down, guys. Matt, did you have something you want to say? Oh, that's true. Can you guys hear what he just said? Uh, I almost told him to go up to the mic. The idea that I needed a fourth person up here to be the Holy Spirit, and the idea that the, the, the Father isn't some crotchety old, wrathful, angry God. And that's unfortunate because that's what he's being accused of right now, which is why I'm glad you brought that up. Jesus said, when you see me, everybody likes Jesus. We've talked about this before. Everybody likes Jesus. He's the cool guy. Nobody likes the Father. He's the meanie, right? What did Jesus say? Read the Gospel of John. If you really want to get a good, I believe the Gospel of John was written for 21st century Christians. It is the 21st century now, right? 
Am I right? Okay. 21st century Christians to redeem our image of the Father. Most of us grew up with this really grumpy Old Testament Father God, and there's this really cool Jesus who protected us from the grumpy old Father God. You know what Jesus said about the Father? When you see me, you see him. Mm. The words you hear from my mouth are my words. They're my Father's words. What you see me do, those aren't my works. Those are my Father's works. Wow. You know what he went on to say? The Father judges no man. He has left judgment to the Son. Ooh. All of a sudden the tables have turned, haven't they? What is the point? <laughs> Jesus loves us dearly. The Father beckons to us. The Spirit draws us there. They work in unison in us, expressing God's goodness and his righteousness and trying to convince us that we are his children. We are. Receive it. Believe it. Attribute it to him. You want to hear the Holy Spirit? Start attributing good things to him. Do it. Does this make sense this morning? We got a minute. Band, go ahead and get in place. You guys talk about it with each other real quick. Have a conversation. I got through literally two lines of my notes, but that's okay. <laughs> talk to each other. What, what does this mean today? Talk to each other. It's church. You're allowed to fellowship. It's okay. We've kind of wrecked that, haven't we? Oh, and you guys up in the corner, you giggled. Did you talk about it? All right, all right. You saw your sibs in trouble, didn't you? All right, okay, all right. Or allowing God to actually be good. Learning to hear the Holy Spirit as the contributor of good that we attribute to him what is good. If that's all we heard today, that's a lot. There's no reason for you to be afraid of the Father. None. He desperately loves you. So much that he sent Jesus, who expressed the heart of the Father. Remember, we talk about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are individuals, but they are one God. One heart, one mind, one purpose, one spirit. One word, one truth. They are in lockstep. They are in unison. They never act on their own. They are in perfect submission to one another all the time. Expressing perfect edification, perfect glorification, perfect submission and humility. They honor one another. They respect one another. Perfectly. And that's what resides in us. We need to give him permission to open our eyes to see, our mouths to praise, our hearts to be grateful, and then receive what we are. We are the righteousness of Christ, by Christ, by faith, by grace, through his mercy and the indwelling of the Spirit. Let's stand and sing.